discussion of the big speech today. Today, folks, in the middle of, uh, we're deep into the COVID thing right now, and today we're choosing to go to the moon. Um, with us today, we've got Mike, Matt, and Ross. Um, and for today's speech, uh, Mr. Mike Schaefer is our host. So, what are we talking about? Where are we at? Who is it? Leave well, us off, Mike. Glad to be here, uh, Landon. Here. <laughs> well, we're going to be talking about and reading a brief segment from the great John F. Kennedy's We Choose to Go to the Moon speech. Uh, he gave this speech at Rice University in 1961. Uh, why did I choose this, you might ask? You know, we live in an age prior to right now, which we'll talk about a little bit later, where it can kind of feel like we're going through the motions. We're not setting our sights on big dreams. And maybe this is a great time then to kind of be reminded of that, of when people did that, chase the big dreams. And JFK, I think he might nail it in this speech. So we're going to talk about that. Um, before we talk about anything, though, hey, why don't we introduce ourselves to one of the bigger, uh, better portions of the speech, one of the bits of the speech that stand off, stand out here. So listen along with me, ladies and gentlemen. JFK, 1961. Oh, yeah. Okay. We set sail on this new sea because there's new knowledge to be gained and new rights to be won. And they must be won and used for the progress of all people. For space science, like nuclear science and all technology, has no conscience of its own. Whether it will become a force for good or ill depends on man. And only if the United States occupies a position of preeminence can we help decide whether this new ocean will be a sea of peace or a new terrifying theater of war. I do not say we should or will go unprotected against the hostile misuse of space any more than we go unprotected against the hostile use of land or sea. But I do say that space can be explored and mastered without feeding the fires of war, without repeating the mistakes that man has made in extending his writs upon this globe of ours. There is no strife, no prejudice, no national conflict in outer space as yet. Its hazards are hostile to us all. Its conquest deserves the best of all mankind, and its opportunity for peaceful cooperation may never come again. But why, some say, the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why, 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. Great speech. That's just a bit of it. The speech itself is about 15 minutes long, um, but we really can't understand the speech and what uh, some of us have learned about it here uh, without knowing where the speech is coming from. So let's go ahead and run through that here. It's again, it's fallen. It's <laughs> it's May 19. <laughs> no, it is. It's September 1961. September 1961. <laughs> 
about seventy-seven percent approval rating. That he is averaged unbelievably high. That is, he is the highest rating of a post World War II president. He averaged a seventy percent rating. Okay, so people love him. The space race between is between, of course, good old red, white, and blue, and the commies across the pond. It's about six years old. All right, so we're yeah. kind of saying it started in 1955 it started with kind of uh united states showing all of its cards showing all of its poker hand what i mean by that is eisenhower in 1955 announced we're going to launch an artificial satellite in his words quote the near future all right those kind you don't you don't play with those kinds of words here when you're playing with the commies okay because the ussr they don't play no games right matt <laughs> no games at all so two years after eisenhower's announcement ussr sends sputnik up soviets one us zero flash forward four years it's 1961 april us well i'm sorry <clears throat> flash forward four years in 1961 the us ends up launching 41 satellites into orbit 23 of which are successful it's more than 500. It's not bad, right? I mean, Major League Baseball, you'd be in Hall of Fame. You'd be best ever. USSR, they're a mere five for nine. But hey, Ross, who, who's the second guy to climb Mount Everest? I don't know, Mike. Who is it? <laughs> no one knows. That's the point, right? No one cares about second place, just like US was number two for satellites, right? So, more significantly, April 1961, Yuri Gagarin hops his way into space on Vostek 1, becomes first person, first man in space. Soviets 2, United States 0. This sort of reminds me of a movie. Can anyone name that movie? October Sky. Not the one I had in mind. <laughs> <laughs> anyone else? What is what is Rocky Four? Rocky Four is the exact answer, Matt. That's what we're talking about. Kennedy, he's sort of like Rocky in Rocky Four. He's getting the crap beat out of him, but he ain't gonna take it. So May 1961, just a month after Yuri Gagarin's escapades, Candy gets bold. This is like Rocky after the second round when he's getting the crap beat out of him, telling Drago that he's going to win this fight. All right? So, Kennedy is, in a sense, sort of a step up from Rocky. He talks in pretty big game. May 1966, um, <clears throat> May 1961, Kennedy announces to a joint session of Congress that man will land on the moon before the decade is up. Of course, the speech to Congress ain't exactly a pep talk. That brings us to Rice Stadium for the little rah, rah, rah that America needs to ignite this mission with the tax dollars and existential dress it needs. We know we're at Rice University, but Ross, is there anything else you can tell us about the audience there or the United States as a whole? Yeah, I think just a little bit. So, like you said, May 19th, uh, in May, Kennedy gave the speech to Congress to kind of um, get this whole thing kick-started, but they needed a little bit more space. So to start the Apollo program, to realistically put someone on the moon, uh, they needed more space than the, one of the facilities they had, I believe, in Maryland that they would have been using before. So they did a big 
um, not necessarily like a legitimate study, but they looked around, they had a bunch of different sites they listed as possible places to build a new space center where they could do manned space flight. Um, ended up settling on Houston, Texas. So they began building um, the Manned Space Flight Center, I believe, MSC, as it was originally known. Um, and it was later renamed the Johnson Space Center after Lyndon B. Johnson, not till the 70s, though. So at this point, it's the Manned Space Center. Not Flight after Center. Ross Johnson? Not, it wasn't named <laughs> after me. Oh, what the <laughs> heck? But yeah, so they, they're building the Manned Spacecraft Center. So at this point, Kennedy is in Houston on a two-day tour of the new space center. So it's going up. So you're kind of like you said, this speech is more of a rah, rah, rah given at Rice University Stadium. Um, a direct audience. It actually had a lot of students and faculty from Rice University. And then as you'll, if you read the introduction of the speech, uh, some uh, politicians from Texas, governor, pe important people like that, that were also um, in attendance. So like you said earlier, the, the immediate... Uh, reception of the speech was the people there, but it was kind of a push, I guess, to a wider audience, kind of America as a whole, trying to build momentum and support for this Apollo program to try to um, land someone on the moon. So quick question. Kennedy, so he goes to Congress in 61, May of 61, and gives a speech on how we should go to the moon by the end of the decade. But then another year and a half later, September of 62, is this speech at Rice. And it is by far the more known one for, for the rah-rah stuff. This is the one we often refer to and think about, the, the dream of going to the moon. That's correct, Landon, except not 1962. <laughs> it's 61. It is Can we have fact check? Fact check. It's sixty-one. I'm pretty sure it was sixty-two. I was sixty-two. Under 1962. A year and four months later. <laughs> Come on, Mike. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Are we sure it was Kennedy giving the speech? <laughs> Yeah, so it was. I think. I think what had happened, it was. It was really trying to build up that we needed a ton more money and a lot more uh, academic might thrown behind what was already created with the Apollo mission, and this was to to be like a rah rah kind of one year into it. Um, let's keep it going. So, so do we know what? the American people were thinking at this point in time? Like, was there a pretty general consensus, like JFK's or JFK's a, a whack job for thinking about this? Or is this something America was largely behind? Were they skeptical? Like, what do we know what that, uh, that situation was like? So it's an interesting question, Matt. Um, you know, the approval rating for going to the moon well, I can't tell you the approval rating. I can I can tell you the disapproval rating because that's obviously slightly different. Anyone want to give a guess what the disapproval rating was shortly after the speech? Fifty-eight percent. Wait, yeah. at, <laughs> after the speech? After or, the speech, shortly oh, after. Interesting. Yeah. Do we know what it was before the speech? I. It wasn't on anyone's radar, was it? <laughs> I don't know. Wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait, wait. His disapproval rating was 58%? Yeah, disapproval. 
people, wow. 58% of Americans thought it was crazy. At the same time, his approval rating as a president was still high the entire time. Yeah. So that's interesting, people uh, making that disconnect. Or I feel like today there is not that disconnect uh, for whatever reason. But yeah, 58%. Interesting. Hmm. Sounds so like the speech didn't work. What was the big? <laughs> why were people disillusioned with the idea of going to the moon? Why didn't? I mean, it sounds like a cool idea. It sounds fun. It sounds awesome. Let's beat the Soviets. Why were people not all on board with it? Well, it costs a lot of money. Uh, in 1961. Uh, well, okay, <clears throat> I don't have this number, but let me put a slightly different but similar number on the board. At the peak of NASA's prowess, so we'll say 1969 to 1971, I believe that NASA consumed uh, almost 5% of America's federal budget. In 2019, NASA consumed 0.5% of the national budget. So it just gives you a sense how much money uh, was going into this project. At the same time, without people really even knowing what would come of it, right? I mean, they're not, they're not drilling for oil up there, right? Yeah, yeah, shoot. Um, so what um, – dang. I had a question, but I lost it. Cut that part out. References that at one point, I can't. I don't have the entire speech in front of me, so I don't want to. I'll paraphrase a little bit. But he pretty much says like we don't really know what we're going to get from this. Um, Like he even addresses that in the speech itself that we don't have a. You know, the goal is to land someone on the moon, but as far as a practical, what we're going to glean from it, or like there's nothing as of yet. Do you think Americans would get behind something that didn't have like a clear objective like that today? Because like I kind of get why there would be a disapproval rating. It sounds like people didn't really go for it then necessarily. But I don't know. I would think especially today I would have a really hard time thinking we would get behind something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question, Matt. And it seems very antithetical to the nature of science, right? I mean, you do everything in science because you know, you know, we at least traditionally conceptualize scientific activity as those activities for which you can gain a clear outcome from, right? But of course, the clear outcome here going to the moon, I mean, the only obvious thing in reality, of course, is um beating the communists <laughs> right um i've heard oftentimes uh in a great podcast whenever you're not listening to this one uh the art of manliness uh brett mckay interviews a gentleman who wrote a book called rocket man uh, a guy who wrote about the stories of the apollo 8 astronauts and i remember again and again throughout this interview the term existential coming up so something having to do with the meaning of life and this threat of the soviets beating us to the moon was characterized 
Um, I'm not sure if it was only this author, if this author was borrowing language from that time period or who exactly, but regardless, there must be some truth to it. Um, the idea that the Soviets beating us was an existential threat. It was a threat to our identity of being an American. Um, it, it's just, yeah, fascinating, of course, how, um, how inspiring that obviously ultimately was as an idea. I would like to ask the question. I mean, we, I think that's a good point. Like it was a threat to our identity as American to have this competition with the Soviets. But I mean, this is, this is also the same time as the space race, but it's also just the cold war. So, I mean, was there a fear if they, if they beat us, it's not just a threat to our identity, but it might literally be a threat. Like, um, does that make sense? Is there, was there an actual fear of if they beat us in the space race, they may have some sort of military superiority over us, which would be obviously very scary at the time. Well, he, he does mention in the speech, um, like part as part of like the kind of appeals he makes. So um, he starts talking about like not going unprotected on land or sea. Why would we go unprotected in space? Right. So that's that's one of the arguments he makes that I suppose like, yeah, I know he doesn't say like, oh, yeah, it's because of this, this and this. But he does give some, I guess, kind of practical types of reasons for it. Um, and this is a pretty. Which I think it's interesting that he even mentioned that because it is a very war weary people still at this point. So this is 1962, which is, if my math's right, only 17 years after World War II ended. Right. So like yeah. that's there's yeah. less time between them and World War II than there is between us and September 11th. And September 11th is still like pretty profoundly on people's minds you know, at least to uh, people who are of age, you know, an age of reason at that point. So I think there's there's that that's that's an interesting thing um, in regards to. Um, crap, what were you guys saying, Ross? You asked a question and I started yeah. answering it. How much? I mean, like Mike mentioned the point of a threat to our identity. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah of a literal threat to our you know national security was that part of the push to get this to beat them if that makes sense in the space race so i think this is one area maybe landon can touch on expand upon this point but you know if there's an area that's distinct for the long-term success of space exploration it is this idea that space is this inherently, or I should say space exploration is this inherently peaceful activity. It is more so for the purpose of knowledge and understanding and improving technologies and scientific discoveries for the sake of human health and et cetera, et cetera. I think that it had, was ultimately a very successful point of space exploration, at least up to now, that Kennedy wanted and ended up being actualized, right? Because we don't, we don't, and maybe even we look back in the past at this idea of space being a militarized zone, and we almost sort of like laugh at that. Not because we think we're smarter, but it's, just, it's such an unfamiliar idea, right? Whereas we think of 
the Middle East or we think of these different places on Earth, it's like, oh, yeah, military place, this place, military place, right? But space has kind of maintained that sort of, like, fantasy or that sort of mystique that Kennedy desired. Yeah, but I think that's because he defined it that way. He made it peaceful and this is what is next and this speech set the terms of how to convince everyone to look at space right I right don't... well that that's that's why i'm saying that's a good yeah. it's, a, it's a successful right. point um that maybe would not have happened if the soviets had beat us to the moon right he clearly appealed to a lot of other things in this speech that weren't at all Soviet or Russian. In the entire speech, he never says the word Russia, which it might not have actually been a term back then. And he only references the Soviet Union one time in a direct comparison that our satellites that we're sending up are better constructed than those of the Soviet Union. And I think we've sent more. Even though they had beat us by one month of sending a man into space. Um, I don't know. I think, remember, have you guys seen October Sky? Is that the one with Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many years ago. Probably top two or three most inspirational movie ever. Whoa. Wow. That's pretty high. Yeah, that's up there. No, it definitely definitely is. Um, It's actually number two. Uh, the first is Mr. Holland's Opus. Uh, According to who? These are Landon's picks. These are just facts. <laughs> these uh, are just facts. Clearly haven't seen Rocky IV. Or one, two, or three. But do you remember the scene when they look up and they see Sputnik from uh, a little coal mining town in West Virginia? Like, I think, I think like, at this yeah. time, Sputnik yeah. was 1958. You know, the heavens were a sacred place. I mean, science and industry had infected and, you know, was part of daily life for everyone. But, like, you could always look up to the stars and, like, yeah, we can fly. We can get a plane off the ground 10, 20,000 feet. But the fact that, like, at night, like, space was now going to be conquered, um, I think that that barrier still had to be broken down and... Uh, a reason to point to space as like the next frontier um, to inspire that like, Hey, we used to go West young man. And then we buckled down and we won wars, built the bomb. And like to say the next thing is space was super important. Um, And this speech is just littered with and contains a lot of the reasons why um, if we pursue this, if we spend $5 billion on this, which was, um, you know, more than they had, I think, since the war began, World War II ended, um, we should commit to this because it will unlock, you know, further uh, advancements that we don't even know yet. Okay, so let's start. <clears throat> so I think that's kind of a major challenge, right? Where 
you know, you set SMART, the acronym SMART goals. Um, let's see. S, specific, measurable, real, realistic is one of them, right? And so it's like space and the moon are realistic goals because even though they're far off, they were right there, right? But it's like after the moon, what is there, right? I mean, the next thing obviously is Mars, which, you know, we're only now, you know, it seems like it goes in waves of like realistic or realism in terms of getting to the moon. And the, the only point here is that, you know, maybe partly accounting for this dearth of space exploration after the moon is just because there was no logical goal. You know, every point from the moon back to populating North America with Europeans, every step was realistic in a sense. And after the moon, it became this such distant space that was incredibly challenging for people to get past. So, I don't know. Yeah. That's on. <clears throat> so, we get to the moon. So, he gives this speech in 62. Land on the moon when? Anybody got it? They looked that up? You got the date? 1969. I don't know the date. 69. July 20th. July 20th. The uh, launch took off July 16th. So, seven little short of seven years, right? A um, couple other quick facts. How many people... So the, the program that, that basically was signed and launched as a part of this was the Apollo program. How many people worked, were employed by the Apollo port program? Any, any guesses? Mm. Great question. No idea. 400,000 people, 400,000 people, um, 150, wow. $153 billion was spent on it. Um, and so just five years after this speech, Apollo one ready to go Saturn five rocket, I think Saturn five test flight, January of 67, five years. And that was the one on the, on the test run fire took place and the crew uh, died right off the bat. Um, so the next next three missions were uh, uncrewed Apollo or excuse me, Saturn V rockets being shot up into space um, to test the rocket. So just three, three tries there. And then Apollo 7 is the first manned flight 11-day orbit. 8, 9, and 10... Also, test um, a few things. I think they got up there. They tested the LEM, crewed missions, and then July of 69, just uh, two and a half years after the fire, Apollo 11 gets to the moon. Um, yeah. You know, Landon, if you read the Rocket Men, you wouldn't just be throwing Apollo 8 into the mix here. <laughs> we could have a whole show on Apollo 8, but there's no speech about it, so I guess we never, <laughs> never will. <laughs> but a couple of points there just have to be mentioned while we're on Kennedy yeah, in yeah. space. Saturn yeah. five, most powerful rocket ever built to this day. Yeah. 
I mean, imagine if the computers from that era were still the most powerful computers. I mean, you know, we have I have two computers in my car right now that are as I mean, I really have no idea for sure. It must be at least competitive with computational ability of what they were using. They are. Right? I looked. I looked it up. They are one million times more powerful than the Apollo in terms of uh, uh, the RAM processing power. The wow. Apollo computer had thirty-two thousand bits of RAM memory. Um. Our phones have four gigs of RAM, which is 34 billion bits. Holy smokes. One million times more power. Processing. I feel like that segues well into something I've been thinking of these last five minutes or so. So Kennedy in the speech breaks down human history into like a 50-year period, which is kind of an interesting way to think about it. And his point overall is kind of the rapid progress in the most recent times, right? So just how quickly we've, like, how it took so much time to go from, you know, to figure out how to use a tool to all of a sudden in a very short period of time using this very advanced technology. So I think what's interesting is, so the Wright brothers, the, all, the whole, like, trying to figure out how to fly an airplane is the early 1900s, okay? So, and I don't have an exact date on that, so... Yeah. Ballpark, give or take five or 10 years here. But 60 years later, we go from can we fly something at all to mm -hmm. yeah, we put someone on the moon. Okay. So now look at the next 60 years. If you want 60s to, I mean, almost present day. It's been almost 60 years. I mean, not quite since we actually put someone on the moon. But in a similar set of time, I feel like we haven't made that much. Now, someone that is more familiar with current space projects might laugh at that, I guess, and talk about some things I probably don't know about. But as far as just an epic scale to go from, we learned how to fly till we put someone on the moon. I don't feel like we have continued on that trajectory. Right. Today. Truly. I was at a, um, I'd like to piggyback off that. Uh, I listened to a speech by Peter Thiel recently, investor in Facebook. Um, and he contrasted kind of what happened over the last, you know, 100 years of American society and scientific research and education and like the state of higher education today in 2020. Um, but his pivotal point of culture and the mindset of all this uh, stuff and perhaps how uninnovative we've been the last 50 years. Uh, we went to the moon and now we've we've got iPhones in our pocket that we just use for Facebook. Um, but so the, the Apollo 11 uh, got back late July of 69. Uh, the most epic external uh, pie in the sky. Let's conquer the universe thing mankind had done to that point. What happened two weeks later? Woodstock. Right? Am I right? Woodstock. Yep. So Woodstock happens two weeks later, a scene, a culture, an embodiment that is probably the opposite of let's get on $5 billion rockets and blow off into space to catch the moon and, and more about internal, um, you know, uh, love or free love. Um, I don't even 
even know. I don't want to use the all the words to describe Woodstock, but probably taking many steps back and focusing more on um, the internal, the culture, rather than conquering the universe. And I think I think a lot of that, uh, given that all of those people at Woodstock ended up being professors in higher ed the last 50 years, um, is at least in part to explain that. Yeah, I think there's definitely something there, Landon. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna get uh we're gonna get some angry emails with that comment, but I th- <laughs> but but I think I think there's definitely something something to that there. Nice guess, Matt. Um, something else maybe for the deleted scenes version of this podcast 153 billion dollars honestly that doesn't sound like that much i mean united states just spent two trillion dollars uh in some words or another in resolving this corona crisis i mean legitimately so uh in, in a lot of ways but man getting to the moon that sounds sounds like a deal (laughs) yeah and i think um you know i think money has gone down or hold on what would you just say the deal long pause i think we lost matt we're at 33 minutes how um i've got a couple more things to say i think i can bring us home to like spacex in 2020 and then what else we want yeah so i mean i think that would be why don't why don't you pitch it to me mike and like yeah, I mean, yeah, something to the effect of would Kennedy be happy with the direction scope? Yeah, I think stuff on SpaceX, some positives, some negatives. I think that would be a great way to bring us home. Real quick, we, apparently we're not podcasting in this moment. Yeah. Uh, did you guys read it or listen to it? I listened to it. Okay, I listened to it too, and that was interesting, I thought. I read like, it we, as well. I don't know if we want to talk about that or not, but Kennedy was a good, yeah. A lot of, yeah, anyway, I could go into it, but I don't have to. Up to you guys. What do you mean, good? I don't know what you just said. Like, <laughs> so I, I, I kind of got sucked in, and, and it, are we, po- we're not podcasting right oh, now, no. but, but, like, but um, hold on. If you're going to actually say something, just say it for real in a true voice. Okay. Just say it, go. Okay. Yeah, so typically when you look at these speeches, I, I read them. This is about the first time I actually listened to the um, person give the speech. So I listened to uh, President Kennedy give the speech, um, and I found it very – I guess – I mean, I don't know if inspiring is the right word, but I feel like beforehand I may have somewhat sided with that, the 58 percent we spoke about. Just you and you can bring up so many practical examples. I mean, right? you, we said 17, minute, or 17 years post-World War II, so is there fear of a – do we need to be spending this money on military buildup? You know, I'm sure that they could have made the same arguments about education and healthcare that people hear about today. There's so many places we could spend all this money. Why give it to something that we ad- almost admittedly say we don't really know what we're going to get out of this? Um, and yet, 
I feel like I probably would have sided with them beforehand, but just listening to Kennedy give the speech, um, I don't know if it's if, if the speech was that well written, because I know he obviously edited it, but wasn't the only person that contributed to it. But by the end of the speech, I kind of felt myself clapping along a little bit and saying like, yeah, let's, let's get to the moon. Um, it's worth it. And um, so I don't know how, like we kind of talked about his speech kind of was the, the send off the pump up to get people ready. I feel like it was effective enough that even me all these years later, um, listening in was even without some sort of tangible, practical, this is what we'll gain from it. I was pretty on board with the idea by the end of it and somewhat disappointed with our lack of apparent, obvious gains in these last 50 years. I see. I see. Yeah, I think I think you can be cynical sometimes and be like, why are we launching all these rockets up to just like circle around and to hear to hear him talk through it uh, in full length almost 60 years ago um, is still applicable today to to get excited about how how this could help us out. So. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we touched on a lot of big points here. Cost of the ultimate space. We touched on a lot of big points here. Getting to the moon where the Soviets stood. Um, One positive point that, you know, maybe has a lot to do with Kennedy is that space never did become a militarized zone in at least the familiar sense of the term. You know, if anything... To any extent that's true, it's true in a secondary or tertiary way. Um, so it kind Trump, of brings us uh, to a... Uh, hold on. Trump just created the Space Force, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think, uh... fair, fair point. <laughs> I don't see any uh, sign-up uh, sheets, though, so it's only a name right now. Yeah. Although I should say Neil deGrasse Tyson was a fan of that uh, move, apparently. Um, so, After that you know, speech... What was that, Russ? After reading Kennedy's speech, I feel like I want to join the Space Force. (laughs) Um, So, Landon, what do you think? Would Kennedy be happy, ultimately, with the direction, scope of American space exploration and or space exploration in general? What are some some pluses? What are some minuses? Yeah, totally. First of all, have you guys ever watched a space shuttle rocket mission launch go off live like in person yeah yeah no 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 it is unbelievable i uh my brothers and i went to florida in february and i kept googling every day if they'd have a lot if they'd have a launch while we were there we were only there three days um, and at the last minute, two days before we left, SpaceX scheduled the fifth launch of their Starlink satellites to um, lower orbit, which is like going to be 60 satellites circling around, providing uh, Internet ability throughout uh, the world. I think they're planning on getting 10,000 satellites up there. Um, but this rocket um, was... You know, I think only a seventh the size of a space shuttle rocket, and that would still be the shuttle was a little bit smaller than the Saturn V. Um, and to be, we were three miles away, 
and to watch it light up, get about a mile in the air until the sound and the blast hits your face with a little heat and then just like a lot of like kind of shakes your bones a little unbelievable experience like what's amazing is they're launching every between spacex blue origin jeff bezos company um cape canaveral is just blowing up with with all kinds of activity uh privately funded but in cooperation with nasa um and i think there's basically a rocket launch like every 10 days until you know the next couple of years with all the activity that's going on there so pretty unbelievable interesting question i think is what um because there are more privately funded launches what role does the government still have in space exploration um do you think the private attempts to explore space have surpassed the government's ability to do that um, obviously the government was was fundamental in starting the process but um, yeah to what degree has private endeavors like this surpassed the government uh, endeavors or to what degree does the government stuff still need to happen well I think it's the exact same paradigm between government and private or commercial interests as you have in any sort of um, domain that involves highly technical material, right? I mean, I'm, the first thought that comes in my brain is research in agriculture, right? I mean, if you rely largely on corporations for funding different aspects of research, um, it's not that anything evil goes on, really, It's but it's that it becomes much more focused, much more commercial, right? But human inter interests of humanity as a whole go beyond these very myopic ideas. So, so I suppose, yeah, there's a lot of good things that have come with privatization of space exploration, but I think that maybe there's certain, uh, certain grandness, certain diversity that might have been uh, lost when it was more of a government-focused uh, effort. So, Mike, you asked, what does Kennedy think of all this? Um, well, I mean, he, he hit the moon in seven years. So I think the unbelievable, almost... You know, there's still someone said earlier we were only 17 years uh, beyond World War II. Uh, you know, the greatest scientific project ever in modern modern science is probably the Manhattan Project, and I think a lot of the uh, the grit was still around to get us from zero to the moon in seven years. Um, you know, after that, even by Apollo 15, I mean, Nixon tried to cancel, I think, the last three Apollo missions. They went off in the 71, 72. Um, and then all of the 70s from NASA was, you know, we're spending so much money on one-time trips to the moon. We've been to the moon. We've, we know what it's like. Uh, but in order to kind of get the next phase, it's like we need a permanent space uh, location and so the International Space Station started and what was key there is how do we send stuff up and bring it back and so most of the 70s was on the reusable ship 
um, the sending it up and getting it to land. Uh, so five, five different shuttles were created. Also, the shuttle program from 81 first launched 2011, so right at an exact 30-year run, $190 billion, almost the same amount of money as the Apollo mission, 135 missions. Um, so three parts to uh, space so far, the Apollo, the shuttle, and then the last uh, shuttle was 2011, and right then in, in 2009 and 10, SpaceX started testing its rockets. Um, so for the last 10 years, most of every space uh, effort has been private with public cooperation. And uh, any week, month now, uh, SpaceX is go for launch to send the first crewed mission on a uh, a private rocket and so they did their last test a few weeks ago and i think it'll be may june july here when three astronauts get aboard a spacex rocket and head up to the space station which is really kind of the the third biggest momentum um uh mission to space here and of course our sights are are now set on uh Mars via not not the president of the United States, but the real life Iron Man of of the world, Mr. Elon Musk. So, so are these mostly American companies though that are funding these missions? Like I, I don't know that much about the origins of these companies and their owners. Yeah, SpaceX was uh, funded by Elon Musk. He took his. Uh, 150 million from his PayPal exit and put 50 million in SpaceX and spent all of that money. His first rocket was an old Soyuz rocket from Russia. He bought a physical rocket from Russia to test out. Um, took a while to like perfect it and, and test it. But now all of, you know, when it's the U.S.'s turn to uh, send the next supply load to uh, the International Space Station. Um, for the last few years, SpaceX has been the contracted rocket to send that up. Um, you know, if you're the Defense Department or a private company that wants to send satellites up, you know, agriculture has quite a few satellites doing imagery. Um, you know, those can hop aboard a SpaceX rocket for a pretty hefty fee. Um, so NASA is... NASA still has a couple rockets of its own, the Atlas rockets, but um, private companies are moving a little faster. And at the moment, the best and only route to getting a man up in space without sending him to Kazakhstan is is on a SpaceX rocket. Mm. Well said, Mike. Well said. You had some, you had, uh, we're off. We're off right now. Um, you had some ending notes in here. That was less romantic than Kennedy's speech. Did anybody else get that feel? What? <clears throat> the whole, maybe it's me, but like when we started going to SpaceX and like companies and stuff, I feel like the, we lost some of the romanticism 
of like we choose to go to the moon. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Just just stop. Say reply back to what I just said okay. in a formal way. <clears throat> so that's all really interesting hearing about the current state of kind of space exploration. And on one hand, it's kind of cool that, you know, we have that freedom to be able to do that, to explore that, to do that ourselves. But I guess the overall, not specific point, but just my gut feeling was just that sounds a lot less romantic than, you know, the president of a people bringing in a nation together saying we choose to go to the moon, we choose to go to the moon, we choose to go to the moon. Um, and yeah, I, don't, I guess I don't have a specific like thought on that. Just like I said I, uh, earlier, like when I, when I hear Kennedy say that, I feel like that brings the people together in a way that maybe it didn't, I guess, because the uh, disapproval rating was still relatively high afterwards. But seemingly looking back, this jumpstart took this kind of romantic, inspirational speech by a president of a people. Um, so I guess it's interesting. Maybe it may, we'll see in what the future brings to space exploration. But if it becomes more of a privatized industry, if we'll keep that, that uh, general feel or not. So I heard from Landon there uh, whether Kennedy would be happy. Of course, yeah, Kennedy's happy because, you know, the United States did obviously get to the moon seven years later. Um, you made that helpful point of kind of these three different stages of space exploration, Apollo and the space shuttle, and uh, now with SpaceX and the tremendous privatization. <coughs> and the tremendous uh, commercialization of uh, space exploration. Um, you know, so it's, what's what's our next moonshot is, I think, kind of a question to maybe close with here. Is it Mars? Is it solving climate change? Is it making sure there's no pandemic like Corona again? What's, uh, maybe go around the table. What's the next moonshot? That could be the most everlasting part of his speech is that entering into the vernacular is the term moonshot and he called it he was he was the original moonshot yeah but i i find it um i just find it really difficult just given the current climate to as ross put it have a romantic view of really hardly any endeavor our country embarks on. And it's it's really just a frustrating kind of state of things with things being very polarized, politicized. Um, there aren't really avenues. There don't seem to be very many avenues to just have honest, um, honest thought such that it, it rouses people kind of universally. So it's um, like, what's our next moonshot? Honestly, I, I think our next moonshot might be just having the chance for another moonshot that we can get behind, you know, because it seems like that's uh, that might seem more insurmountable at this point in time than any sort of uh, frontier, any sort of physical endeavor or any sort of invention or technology, because um, we seem to have a lot of power, but we're just kind of throwing all of our power into smartphones and Candy Crush saga and uh, social media. And I don't think it's doing good for us. Perfect so, cut. Perfect cut. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's wrap it up here. I think 
that someone should come in and say, all right, what is it? What's everybody's last moonshot? What's what's the perfect moonshot for our America today in 2020? Um, and is there any way for it to not be like political? Yeah, that's what I was asking. <laughs> Hold on, but we should think. The reason I stopped, I think we should think about it. Do you have a good one or no? Do we have good ones? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I got mine, I think. Don't be too legitimate, though, Mike, because then you kind of lose the point. I don't think I have one. Don't be too legitimate. What do you, what do you have? That's not what do you point. have, Mike? What? What do you have? <laughs> am I on or am I just practicing? No, no, no. We're, we're just practicing. I think this I mean, is how we can end it. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think the most legitimate thing, honestly, is, uh, I mean, it is Mars. But, I mean, I, th- I think I, I completely hear what you guys are all saying is that I, I know it would not be the exact same. I think, yeah. I think Mars, too. I don't think Mars is high is hard enough. Like the, the moon, the moon seemed was so ridiculous. You know what? I, like if we were to take a poll of a disapproval rating on a mission to Mars, I don't think we would have a disapproval rating of fifty eight percent. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 I don't think true. people would find that that ridiculous. Like the moon was ridiculous. But I think it's just because the moon was. You know, we were just getting into space. I mean, so maybe a corollary would have to be like visiting heaven and coming back. That would be so. So we were just getting into space then. We're just getting. Yeah, exactly. What What are we just getting into now? Nothing. I, I, I would I would say like AI and genetics probably. I am just with you saying that that seems right, but I like I would be like I almost don't even want to go there. Which I which, might be one of which, I, I might be one of the percent of the people in 1962. Yeah, yeah. so I think that I want to go there. <laughs> and I, I think because there was a part of the the speech where it talked about the people who are, are want to sit and wait. And honestly, if we're talking about like if we're talking about more space stuff, go for it. If we're talking about genetic mapping and artificial intelligence, I would almost say just sit and wait. Because I don't know if our culture can handle that. There's a lot of implications to those two things that we need to figure out before we, I don't know, do something stupid. Yeah, stakes are bigger than shooting a rocket at the moon. I think we need to bring her on home. I think we're all dilly dallying a little bit, afraid yeah. to commit to a moonshot. <laughs> Let's all be a little more of a Kennedy and pick one. 
So do we need to back it up for what? <laughs> There's me, right. And you're going to back it up quickly, briefly. <laughs> All right. Okay. Kennedy threw this moonshot out in 62, not 61. It was 62. We're in 2020. Around the horn. What's America's moonshot? I want a colony on Mars. Ross is shooting for the next planet. Ross is uh, a step ahead of me. I mean, I'm just thinking of getting to Mars. It ain't going to be quite the same, but, you know, I think there's some magic there. I'm think- Mars too, Matt, what are you? I'm thinking a little more down to earth. Literally. And I think it would be finding some way to harness a polluting substance like methane or something like that and making real usable energy out of it. (laughs) Matt, that's a real thing. (laughs) You burn methane gas and you get electricity from it. Wait, 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 wait. Well, hold on. Nope. We'll talk about agriculture on some other podcasts. We'll I'm going to sound like an idiot. Later. I can't say that. Let me come up with a different one. How are we not all... If, okay, if that's possible... <laughs> if we could have internet in our phones, that would be... Shut up. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. If... So, but we can't harness the methane from landfills, right? Or from cow crap, Right. We can't do that. Well, I think it, it's so diffused in like a landfill, and the rate of production is so low. It's not. It's not worth it. That's that's my interpretation, Landon. So that's what I'm saying. We we find a way to harness the diffuse methane and diffuse other particles that are contaminating the world. But there. Well, okay. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, let's, we can move on. I'll just sound like a dumbass. My moonshot would be that we can figure out biology enough that we don't have to stay in home for COVID for a month from a simple virus. So let's get better at our vaccination rate for uh, novel epidemics. Oh, boy, a lot we can say about those vaccines. We need to find someone who gave a speech on vaccines so we can talk about vaccines. (laughs) And that will be next time on The Big Steve Speech. Thank you. See you. Bye. I I think that was an improvement. We were guys. (laughs) What? I thought we were the speech guys. (laughs) I thought we were the long three in one. (laughs) It's the big speech. The big speech. I think I think the big speech is a better fit feel to it. Yeah, but, yeah, but we double meaning. But we are the speech guys. Oh, I'm yeah. with you. Okay. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Anything we can do better off the bat here? Anything on our minds? I think okay. there's only like if we put this audio and cut it up i think there's only like two places i would have to cut out and work with i think the conversation flowed pretty well
Yeah, I think I think it was a lot better this time. <laughs> the first Partly, one was really bad. <laughs> oh, I I know. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's terrible. I'm never gonna listen to it. I mean, I was I was bored of myself last time, but I think this time, like yeah. it was it was actually interesting. I think. Yeah, there's better banter. I mean, I think part of that, if I may say, is the host really knowing the material and keeping it rolling. <laughs> Dang. Sorry for giving That's you too fire. much. Okay. <laughs> no, I think I mean the content itself. I think kind of sold itself. Cool. 